Well, this morning I want to talk to you about something that I think is honestly the source of a lot of our frustration. Sometimes there's tension in our life. Sometimes there's drama in our life. Sometimes there's sideways uh, relationships going on in our life. And honestly, the part of today that I hope will be so helpful is a lot of times that stuff has a source underneath it. There's something that feeds a lot of the drama in our life. There's something that feeds a lot of the frustration in our life. And there's something that feeds a lot of just the, just the junk that we feel. And oftentimes we know what's underneath the surface. Oftentimes we sense that it's there, but we don't really know what to call it. Oftentimes we don't really know what to name it. Oftentimes we don't really know what the source of it is and it just irritates us and it creates more, I don't know, just a lot of disconnects in our life. And so today's message is the simple title called The Battle to See. The Battle to See. Because often what happens in our life is we see at one level, we see with our physical eyes, we see the things that we can see, touch, feel, taste, touch, all, all of those sort of senses but there's actually something else going on. There's something going on that you can't see with their physical eyes that you have to begin to see with what we call the eyes of our heart or our, our spiritual eyes. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There's, a, there's an enemy uh, named the devil. All throughout the scripture, this is talked about. The, whether you call him the devil, Satan, uh, Lucifer, whatever you call him, he exists. There's this, this enemy that is at war with the things of God and the people of God. And what that means is there's a spiritual realm all around us. Now, if you grew up in church, you know this. If you grew up around church, you, you've heard people talk about the spiritual warfare around us. But at least for me, I grew up knowing about it in my head, but I didn't really see it played out around me. And so even though the Bible says that our war is not against flesh and blood, I would war against flesh and blood. Even though the Bible says that our battle isn't around physical people that we can see, but there's the spiritual realm around us, I didn't live like that was true. So what the Bible teaches is that there's this unseen world around us. There's a spiritual war going on around us. There's a battle going on every single day. And the problem is most of us don't have our eyes open to that. Most of us don't believe that's happening. And so the, one of the dangers of that is even if you don't believe it exists, it's still real. Even if you don't believe that there's an enemy that's attacking you, he's still attacking you. And here's one of the practical problems with this, this line of thinking is that the enemy's attacking. We're walking around on a battlefield every single day, whether we believe it or not. The enemy's attacking us every single day, whether we believe it or not. And if we don't believe the enemy exists and we don't believe the enemy's real, we're still being attacked by him. We're still filling the darts that he's shooting our way. But since we don't act like he's real, we start blaming the wrong people on those attacks. Is this tracking with you this morning? Is that making sense? Maybe you need another Kona ice to sort of wake up. But I'm just telling you, there's a spiritual realm around us. There's an enemy that's attacking us. We are literally on a battleground right now. And anytime there's a battle going on, there are bystanders that are hit by the attacks of the enemy. And so today, what I wanna encourage us to do is fight the battle to see, not with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of our hearts. I told some of y'all when I was in high school, I went to get my driver's license. I grew up in Mississippi and at the time you could get your 
driver's license when you're 15. Now I look back on it, I was like, that's kind of crazy to trust me as a 15-year-old behind the wheel. But I remember going to uh, take the, the test to get the driver's license, and part of that test was to check your vision. And so I went in, and they had, I don't even know what you call it, but they had this uh, sort of like binocular kind of thing uh, on, the, on the counter there. So you'd walk up to it, you'd press your head against it, your forehead would turn it on, and you'd look into these little eyepieces, and they would say to you, read what you see, tell me what you see. And so at first, I was like, this is a piece of cake. So I just rattled off all the letters that I saw there, you know, W, you know, all, all the, whatever those letters were, I read it off, and then I pause, and the lady says to me, she says, read the next line. I didn't see a next line. I saw one line. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm thinking, what, you know, is, am I being punked? Am I going to end up on some YouTube video? Did my older brother pay her off to say mess with my brother? I, I don't know. So I'm looking, and she says it again. She says, go ahead and read the next line. Well, when I was born, I was born with a lazy left eye. And so I've had three eye surgeries to sort of correct that and to align it up. And so if I'm tired and you're like, Bobby's looking way over here somewhere, that's why. So don't laugh at me. It's like, woo, crazy preacher eye or whatever. Um, so I had three surgeries to sort of line it up. But even though it's pretty much lined up, it's not perfect. And so what I found is that if my brain turned on both eyes equally, I'd see double vision. And so my brain uh, sort of turns off peripheral vision in my left eye. So I'm majorly right eye dominant. Well, this little device that you're looking into at the DMV is set up where when you look through one ocular, that sounds like a cool word to use. You don't get to use that often in a sermon. You look through one ocular, you see one line, you look through the other and you're supposed to see the other line. But because I am right eye dominant, I just wasn't seeing the other line. And so I'm wigging out. She's like, read the next line, read the next line. So finally I start doing this. And as soon as I close my right eye, a shift takes place and I start seeing what was missing. Well, that's the background of today is that oftentimes we're only seeing half the picture. Oftentimes we're only seeing part of the line. Oftentimes if all we're doing is relying on these eyes and not these eyes, we're going to miss what's going on. Jesus himself said it this way in the Gospel of Luke. He said, when your eye is clear, the whole body is full of light. But if your eye is dark, the whole body suffers. It's this reminder that we need to see. Well, there's a lot of places in Scripture that we could turn to to talk about this. But one great example of it comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's uh, the nation of Israel who are the good guys, and there's the, nation, uh, the king of Aram who's the bad guy, right? So just to boil it down, you've got two, two competing kingdoms, two competing army forces, the king of Israel, the good guy, and his army, king of Aram, the bad guy, and the king of Aram is trying to sabotage the king of Israel's army. So over and over again, he tries to uh, hijack them over and over again. He tries to, to, to basically trap them and to, and, and to jump out on them and defeat them. And in between these two warring kingdoms is a prophet named Elisha. What's amazing about Elisha is that he doesn't just see with his physical eyes, he sees with the eyes of his heart. So he sees beyond what's just going on around him. He doesn't just see the physical, he sees what's going on in the spiritual realm. And so he was always seeing what the enemy king, the king of Aram was planning to do. So every time the king of Aram thought he came up with this great plan, here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna sabotage, I'm gonna hijack him, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, this, I'm gonna hide out and, and, and jump on them. Every time the enemy king came up with a plan, Elisha saw it in the spiritual realm, and he warned the king of Israel. 
He'd say, watch out, watch out, watch out. The king of Aram, he's got this plan. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Uh, He's trying to ambush you. And so every single time the king of Aram thought he had a good plan, the nation of Israel was always ahead of him. And he got angry. He got angry. Well, this morning, I want to show you basically three shifts. If we were to spiritually close our eyes and try to recalibrate and see the big picture. And the first shift, if we're going to fight this battle to see, is number one, we need to have this shift where we see the strategy of the enemy. We've got to see the strategy of the enemy. Whether or not we act like he exists, he exists. Whether or not we believe he's got a strategy, he's got one. And so in 2 Kings 6, this, here, here's what it says in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel. And so he counseled with his servant saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And so the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, said, watch out, beware that you do not pass this place for the Arameans, the enemy, they're coming down there. So the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him, thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. So over and over and over again, the enemy's trying to trap them. Over and over again, he's trying to ambush them. And every single time the, the, the king of Israel listens to Elisha the prophet. And so every single time the king of Aram gets frustrated In verse 11, it says, and now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. So he called his servants and he said to them, will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's like, man, somebody's leaking this. I mean, there's no way. Every time I come up with a plan, there's no, how else could the king of Israel always know what I'm about to do? Which one of you is leaking this? Which one of you are colluding with the enemy? Which one of you are telling what's going on? And they say to him in verse 12, no, my Lord, O king, it's not us. There's no collusions, there's no leaks, there's no memos. It's not us, but it is, listen to what it says in verse 12. It's Elisha, it's the prophet who who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And so this king says, let's go kill him. The king of Aram wanted to defeat Israel and in a similar way, there's an enemy that wants to defeat what God's doing in your life. And so when we talk about the shift to say, man, there's a shift in this battle to see, the first shift is to see the strategy of the enemy. There is an enemy. And if I were to boil down his strategy into one simple statement, it's this, there's an enemy who wants to undo whatever God is doing in your life. There's an enemy that wants to undo whatever God's doing in your life. Now, if you're not living for God in the moment, chances are he's not attacking you as much because the enemy doesn't need to attack you. You're already your own worst enemy. But I'm telling you, the moment God starts having his way in your life, the moment that God starts to have victory in your life, the moment you say, man, I'm gonna lean in and live for him, or I'm gonna have a marriage that honors him, or I'm gonna invest in my kids in a way that point them to him. Anytime we make a choice to say, I wanna do what God wants me to do, what that does is it places a target on your life. And again, when you don't see the full picture, when you don't believe there's an enemy and you start living for God and the enemy attacks you, if you're not careful, you'll blame it on God. You'll be like, God, I thought if I trusted you, everything would go well. I thought if I said yes to you, work was gonna fall into place. I thought the moment I said yes to you that everything would be great, but that's forgetting the fact that there's an enemy and the enemy has a strategy and the strategy is to undo whatever God's doing in your life. Anytime God starts having his way in your life, I guarantee you there's gonna be an attack. 
And there's a lot of ways that he attacks. Let me give you a couple just practical ones I've seen in my own life. One of the ways that he attacks is through isolation. He uses isolation. He tries to separate us from the people around us and he tries to get us away from the positive influences in our life. And so that's what happens when we end up in a rift over something that doesn't really matter. Some ill word, some ill-timed phrase, some little piece of gossip because the enemy knows that if he can isolate believers from other believers, he can separate us. He can cause our spiritual fire to begin to diminish where we feel like it's us versus everybody else. And he knows that if he can separate us from other believers, our spiritual fire will begin to grow cold. So he uses that. He uses isolation. How else could you explain friction in friendships that used to be tight? How else could you explain friction in families where there, there's this foundation of love? How else could you uh, explain away sideways relationships and accept that there's an enemy that wants to get in the middle of that isolation? A, a second strategy that he uses is what I call accusations. He uses accusations. He whispers in your head and your heart, there's no way that God could use you. There's no way that God could restore your home. He, he, he whispers, there's no way that, that life could be good again because the enemy knows that if he can keep you in the guilt of your past and cause you to think, man, I, I've done too many things. I've gone too far, I'm too far gone. The enemy knows that if you never embrace your new identity in Christ, you'll always live in defeat. So he uses accusations. He starts to plant those seeds of doubt, isolation, accusation. A third one is what I call personal leverage. Personal leverage. This is where we're frustrated about something. We've been praying for it for a long, long time. God, would you show up? God, would you show up? God, would you show up? I'm single. I want to be married. I'm married. I want to have kids. I've got kids. I want a minivan with 17 cup holders. I've got a mini, sorry. Uh, uh, we've got something that we've been praying for. Someone we've been praying for. And it seems like God isn't hearing us. And so we begin to say, I'm going to fix it myself. That's a strategy of the enemy. The enemy knows that if he can get you to become impatient with God, then he can get you to disconnect from God and for, forfeit his best for your life. There is an enemy. So this is shift number one. This is, this, is, this is the battle part number one to say, I need to see the strategy of the enemy. There's an enemy that, that every time he sees God at work, he's gonna attack it, he's gonna attack it. Instead of me being shocked by it, instead of me call as a casualty of the war, I want to see it. Shift number one, to see the strategy of the enemy. Shift number two, if we're gonna blink spiritually and see with the eyes of our heart is not only see the strategy of the enemy, but then to begin to see the strength of God to see the strength of God. The danger of me talking about there being an enemy is we automatically place an enemy on the opposite end of the scale as God. But the truth is he's not as powerful as God. He's not the polar opposite of God. He's not as strong as God. And if we're not careful in the middle of the battle, we'll forget the strength of God in our lives. And so Elisha is camping outside the city. So th I know some of you like camping. I'm not, y'all are weird to me. I don't get it. I had a bad experience when I was in fifth grade with the Boy Scouts. And so I, I, I was like, I don't want to go camping again. I'll go glamping maybe. I don't know. Um, but imagine this. So Elisha has an assistant who's traveling with them. They're going from place to place. And so they're camping outside the city. They go to bed one night and everything's peaceful. They go to bed. Everything's calm. They're looking up at the stars, beautiful campground. And then the next morning they wake up and they're surrounded by the enemy. 
I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I don't know if you go camping at Lake Lanier, if you're at Old Federal Park, but I'm telling you, you go to bed and everything's peaceful and you wake up and there's thousands of soldiers around you. That's probably not a good way to wake up, right? Listen to what it says in 2 Kings 6. It says in verse 15, so the, the enemy army comes and surrounds them, trying to track him down to kill him. I mean, the, the enemy king, king of Aram, wants him dead. It says in verse 15, now when the attendant, so the assistant guy of the man of God had risen early and gone, gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. That's not a good way to wake up. They wake up, the, the army is circling the city and his servant said to him, so he wakes him up and says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, let me just be clear. I believe that scripture is God's word. I believe it contains no errors. I believe that it's breathed out by God himself. But can I be honest, when I read verses like this, I'm like, this guy has it more together than I do. If I go to bed and everything's calm and peaceful, I'm hearing the frogs, crickets, whatever, and I wake up the next morning and there's thousands of soldiers with pointy things pointing in my direction, I don't think my response is gonna be, alas, my master, what shall we do? <laughs> I'm more like, I think we're gonna die, right? I'm having a full on panic moment. And so I imagine this little attendant guy going, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. There's thousands of people around us. We're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. And listen to what Elisha the prophet says in verse 16. And so he answered and said, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Again, I trust scripture. I just imagine if I'm the intern at that moment, I'm, I'm, I'm having a come to Jesus meeting with the prophet guy. Hey, I know you're the prophet and I know that you've been walking with God a long, long time, but what did you say? Well, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Well, I know it's been a long time since you've been in school and we've got the new math now. So let me just, uh, <laughs> let me just take a little roll for us. There are 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 soldiers and there's one, two of us. Now, what'd you say? Well, I said, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. I get it, I get it, but let me just, in case you couldn't hear me the first time, there are 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 soldiers, one, two. And he felt overwhelmed, felt like there's no hope. And the problem was he was looking with these two eyes. Listen to what Elisha the prophet does. This is so amazing. It says in verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes that he may see. God, would you open it? Would you help him not just to think through the world through the physical dimension, though it's real. Help him not just to look through his own senses and his own strength. God, would you open his spiritual eyes that he could see. And here's what it says in verse 17. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. This is like an Old Testament picture of God flexing his muscles. This is an Old Testament picture of God saying, yes, there's an enemy and yes, he's got a strategy, but I am stronger than the enemy. Amen. Commentators that, that get, dig into passages like this say that there was thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands angels surrounding them in that moment. That's the strength of God. 
That's God saying in the middle of this moment, in the middle of this present situation, my strength is still there for you. Even in the middle of your problems, I'm still present. Even in the middle of your stress, I am still there. If we only look with these eyes, we'll miss it. But if we begin to shift and to say, not only is there the strategy of the enemy, but in the middle of this moment, I'm gonna choose to see the strength of God. He is present in your problems. His strength really is, is sufficient for your situation. He's not distant, he's not far off. Does it make the attacks more fun? Absolutely not, but does it remind us that there's still hope? Definitely. We're not a defeated people. We're not a downcast people. It blows my mind whenever I log on to social media and I see so many people just living in the negative, living in the negative, living in the negative, living in the negative, forgetting that there is an enemy. So they start blaming the people that they can see and they can talk to and they start, they start vilifying somebody that God himself died for and we end up forgetting the spiritual realm. We've got to, number one, see the strategy of the enemy. Number two, see the strength of God in it. And shift number three, is when we begin to see the steps to take. We begin to see what are the steps I'm supposed to, what am I supposed to do with this? And so what happens is Elisha sees this enemy army. And so in verse 18, he prays and he says, God, would you strike them with blindness? And so God does that. He does an amazing miracle. He strikes them with blindness. Then Elisha leads them into the city so that now the enemy is surrounded by the people of God. And so once they get into the city, he prays that God would open their eyes. And so God opens their eyes and they see that now the enemy that thought they were attacking Elisha, that enemy is now surrounded by the, the armies of Israel. And so they're wigging out. And then the king of Israel gets all giddy about it. The king of Israel is tired of the king of Aram and he's tired of the enemy army. So the king of Israel gets all excited. He's like, let's kill him, let's kill him, let's kill him. He's like a little too eager in this moment. And Elisha says, no, 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 let's not kill them. And I bet the king of Israel is like, oh, you got a better plan. And Elisha says, yeah, here's what we're going to do. Instead of killing them, we're going to feed them. What? I imagine there's a little conversation there, but they tried to kill us over and over and over again. And this is our chance. God delivered them to us. Let's kill them. And Elisha says, no, let's feed them. So he ends up doing something that nobody thought you should do and they feed them and then he sends them home back to Aram. And there's a cool little phrase at the end of this chapter that says, and they never came back to mess with them again. Isn't that awesome? I mean, so often we try to handle things our own way. So often we try to come up with, well, what makes sense to us? Well, they cheated me, so I'm gonna cheat them back. They cut me off, I'm gonna cut them off back. They did wrong to me, I'm gonna do wrong to them. And what we typically do in our flesh is we try to escalate, we try to get even, we try to prove a point, we try to, we try to do all of this stuff. But the principle of this passage is that when I can see as God sees, then I can do what God would have me do. When I can see as God sees, when I can see it through the spiritual eyes, when I can see as God sees, then I can do what God wants me to do. I can handle it God's way. And this is the great tension. I told the last service that 
five years ago this week, this is still like, you know, sometimes there's memories that just trigger something inside of you. Uh, five years ago this week, I was on my way to high school camp and expectant. So on the Monday of this week, I was on my way to high school camp and uh, man, just expectant what God was going to do. I was excited to be there, excited to preach, excited. I, I, I've seen God do amazing things through camp. I, I have decisions I made as a middle schooler at camp that I still live with and still remember. And so weeks like this week when we've got over 200 folks going to high school camp, just expecting, expecting, expecting. So, so five years ago, I'm on my way to high school camp, super expected, expecting what God's going to do, pumped about getting to preach and pouring to students. And I stopped for lunch on the way and I made the mistake of checking my email when I was at lunch. And when I checked my email, I had a long scathing email in my inbox. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've had these before, haven't you? I see the flash of fear <laughs> shoot through your eyes. You've, you've been there. So I had this long scathing email from somebody I've known for a long, long time that was volunteering here at the church. And in the email, they're just going off because there's something I was supposed to announce the day before and I dropped the ball on it. And so they took it personally. And so they just sent me the scathing email. I can't believe our church. I can't believe our leaders. And I can't, if y'all aren't gonna support this, then da, 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 da. And just on and on and on and on and on. Our leaders this, our leaders this. I can't believe our church. I can't believe our leaders. And man, I'm telling you, I read this email and my blood pressure started going up. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm on my way to camp. I'm about to talk about Jesus and the love of God. And, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can. I dropped the ball on this one thing and you send me the skating, you know, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So I did what any pastor would do. I hit reply. <laughs> and I started typing away. And it's one of those moments you're like, autocorrect, quit trying to fix it, <laughs> right? And I'm like typing away. I can't, you know, I can't believe our leaders. Well, I can't believe you. And, you know, so I'm like, yeah, all I had was my phone, so I'm trying to type away, and that's, that's kind of awkward. And, and uh, after I've concocted this reply, I just didn't have a peace about it. Sometimes I keep moving when I don't have peace, but in this moment, I was like, all right, I'm not going to send this yet. <laughs> so I closed it out, but I did save the draft just in case, right? <laughs> I don't know if you've done that. I had lunch and I'm in the car heading on to camp. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to call them. I hate talking on the phone. I hate talking on the phone. I hate conflict. <laughs> and so I called and the spouse answered the phone and I could tell it was awkward. They apparently knew the email was sent and maybe they proofed it and they added a few superlatives in there as well. I don't know. It was a little bit awkward. I was like, can I speak to so-and-so? And then that person got on the phone and it was a little awkward. I was like, hey, I got your email. And I just fell on the sword. I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I told you I was going to announce that thing and promote it and I didn't and I dropped the ball and they kept trying to shift it a little bit back to leaders, leaders of the church, leaders of the church. I was like, honestly, every time you said leader in that email, I read it personally because I'm the only person that made that commitment to you. I messed up. It wasn't intentional. Uh, I hope we have enough track record to know that I'm for you and I'm for what you're doing. It was not intentional. It was just a thing. It was just a thing. There's a lot of other things going on. I'm sorry. And then that simple phone call 
created a depth in that relationship that never would have happened if I would have just responded in my flesh that day and sent that draft I had written. And it was just a reminder, have I always done it right? Absolutely not, but in that moment it reminded me that if I can see a person the way that God sees them, that person's not the enemy, there's an enemy, it's not the person, right? If I can see as God sees, I can do what God would have me do. And so I brought that this morning just thinking, man, there's so many times that we forget there's a battle. There's so often that we forget that there's an enemy. And so we start blaming spouses and people in our small groups and our neighbors and that person in Highway 20 traffic yesterday that was driving 10 miles under the speed limit. Hello, what's up with that? Got a wedding to go to. (laughs) They're not the enemy. And if I can shift... And to see there's an enemy, and if I can shift to see the strength of God, and if I can shift to say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm telling you, when we live as God wants us to do, we get to see God-like results. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment as we pray? And I don't know what hidden battles you're facing, but man, I I just want to encourage you to see as God sees. Don't retaliate. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. Say, man, I want to do what God wants me to do. If there's never been a moment that you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's where all of this begins. It's impossible to fight this kind of battle out of our own strength, our own ability, our own intellect. It starts with recognizing that God left heaven and he came to this earth. That as Jesus, he lived a perfect sinless life. And that when he went to the cross for our sin, he didn't go for his own sin. He went for my sin, your sin, the sin of the entire world. In fact, in that moment, the enemy probably thought that he won. Hey, Jesus died on the cross. The enemy thinks he has won. But as you and I know, three days later, Jesus came back to life with resurrection life, defeating the enemy, defeating the power of sin, defeating the reign of sin, making it possible for anybody that would ask him for them to have a brand new start. And so if that's never happened for you, that's our prayer that today you would even now in your head and your heart, you don't have to say the words perfectly, it's what your heart believes but you can pray this part of the prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Help me to live for you you pray that for the very first time today, I want to encourage you to uh, drop a note on the info card that's right in front of you, or if you're watching online, to drop us an email at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. We've got some resources that we'd love to put in your hands this week to help you take those next steps. But if you're a believer today, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Dear Jesus, would you help me to live as if the battle is real? Because it is. Help me to realize that you're stronger than any enemy or situation that I face. God, would you help me to see what you would have me to do in each situation? Just tell them, maybe maybe there's a sticky situation in your life right now that you just say, God, you know this is going on. Help me to see what you would want me to do in it. Father, I thank you for this amazing group of people that we get to call family. 
Father, it is my prayer that you would open their eyes, that they could see. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Father's Day to you. Hope you have a great rest of your week and afternoon. We love you. 